In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure, cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. Hi, I'm Keith Law, and welcome to episode 14 of The Keith Law Show. I will be joined today by Professor Claude Steele, a psychology professor at Stanford University, author of the fantastic book, Whistling Vivaldi, which describes a specific and fairly pernicious form of bias known as stereotype threat. Before we get to Professor Steele, uh, just a few administrative notes. I had a pair of columns, related columns last week, where I went back to the 2010 draft class and did my annual redraft where I take what we know from the past 10 years of performance and also still try to project forward from players in that draft who are still playing and redraft them as if teams could make those selections now, one through 30. And then the following day, since as it turns out that first round wasn't very good in 2010, I think we kind of knew it at the time that after Harper, Machado, Jameson Tyon, who's had a lot of injury problems, after those three guys that the class fell off pretty quickly – there were about 20 or so players in the first round who just didn't pan out. And I had a separate column, the misses of the 2010 first round, where I tried to go into some of those reasons or maybe tell an amusing anecdote about each of those players, most of whom, not all, but most of whom are already out of baseball by this point. I find the exercise really instructive also because it lets me, forces me, in fact, to go back and maybe rethink players in that draft class who I evaluated incorrectly. I thought Zach Cox of Arkansas, who was a first-round pick by the Cardinals, I thought he'd hit. I absolutely thought he'd hit. And when he didn't hit, the other stuff he couldn't do became a lot more important because if you don't hit, you better do something else exceptionally well. So there were a couple of guys from that class I had missed on in either direction too. I I guess somewhat famously thought Chris Sale would have a very, very hard time holding up as a starter between his delivery and his lack of a plus breaking ball in college at Florida Gulf Coast. Obviously, that has turned out very differently. And I think that the exercise, again, I think it's very instructive for me personally. I hope that some of you found it that way as well. Also, I'd like to thank everyone who's purchased my second book, The Inside Game, which was just featured by the New York Times as one of their six recommended sports reads for this summer. Uh, many of you have reached out to say you've bought the book, to say you've enjoyed the book, to say you've enjoyed certain jokes in the book. I appreciate all of it. Please keep all of that coming. Thank you very much for purchasing. If you're looking for that or for Professor Steele's book, let me again recommend bookshop.org. It's my favorite place now to buy books online as we wait for bookstores themselves to reopen. Smelling good is important, and thanks to Hawthorne, smelling good is easier than ever before. It's time to move on from that old bottle of cologne and to start taking care of your hair and your skin. Take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you, one for work and one for play, along with a full complement of shampoo, conditioner, body wash, deodorant, and lotions that smell great 
and are free of sulfate, silicone, and aluminum. All of Hawthorne's products are cruelty-free as well. You can even take the quiz for someone else to find the perfect Father's Day gift for your dad. Hawthorne is totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com, hawthorne.co, and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co, and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Now it is my great pleasure and honor to be joined by Claude Steele. He's an American social psychologist and a professor of psychology at Stanford University. I'm familiar with Professor Steele's work from his 2010 book, Whistling Vivaldi, and other clues to how stereotypes affect us. First, Professor Steele, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure to be here. So let's start by talking about what stereotype threat is. I read your book. I'm, I'm, I believe I'd heard you on another podcast a few years ago and checked out the book and I thought it was really applicable to what I end up doing in baseball. But we'll just start with a definition. What, when speaking to lay people, how do you define stereotype threat? Well, it's a pretty simple situation that I think is a part or, of everybody's life. Everybody experiences some version of it or another. It's it's simply being in a situation for which a negative stereotype about one of your identities, it could be your, your age, your gender, your race, your religion, uh, a negative stereotype about one of those identities is relevant to what you're doing in the situation, something you're trying to perform, for example. Uh, then you know that you could be judged and treated in terms of that stereotype, at least possibly you could be. Um, and if the situation is important to you, the performance, for example, is important to you, then the prospect of being seen in terms of that stereotype or judged in terms of it, treated in terms of it, can be upsetting and distracting enough to actually interfere with your performance. Uh, and that's what uh, uh, certainly the original, a lot of the original research was focused on, was showing that that kind of pressure can interfere with a person's functioning in general and, and in relation to specific performances as well. So the one example that I think maybe most people would have heard of, if you've heard of anything, is about girls or women performing worse on tests of mathematical skill or ability, especially after they've been told that girls do worse at math. I have a daughter. I have actually heard her even repeat some of these things. It appalls me because I don't know where she got this from, but... She's yeah. hearing it. Um, you know, so can you talk just a little bit about whether it's that, those tests or something else, like how we know this is real too? Because I understand this is a pretty well-studied, reasonably well-tested subject. Yes. Uh, one of the uh, lines, of mo lines of research that I've been most associated with was the original line of research, which focused uh, some of the st experiments on race, racial stereotypes, and others on gender stereotypes. And the gender stereotypes, we looked at the effect of those on, on women and girls performing difficult math tests. Um, and we could show the effect of that stereotype pressure. You really don't have to say anything. Uh, you just, we, we, for example, I'll just give you a, a brief outline of the mm -hmm. study, and then you'll get a, a sense of it. But we recruited women who were college students, women and men who were really good at math. Uh, and, and we brought them in one at a time and gave them a very difficult math test. Um, and these were men and women who had really the same 
you know, backgrounds in math. They, they same uh, prior grades and so forth. Uh, and they took this half-hour section of the graduate record exam. Our, our reasoning was that this would be a different experience for a woman than for a man. And the reason it would be different is because for the women, as they started to take this difficult test, uh, something they cared a lot about because they were very invested. Another important thing to point out, all the participants we selected were being very invested in doing well in STEM fields. Um, so... Uh, they would experience this test. They would experience inevitable frustration on it. And for the women, uh, that might cue the possibility that they're confirming or would be seen to confirm this negative stereotype in our culture about women and women's math ability. Uh, the men, as they experience frustration on that test, would, would worry about themselves, whether they were good at math, but they wouldn't have this extra uh, worry to deal with right there in the middle of, the, of taking the test. So we ran that, and indeed, the women, even though we matched them in, in uh, uh, math ability with the men, uh, underperformed on that difficult test compared to the men. But to show the effects of stereotype threat, we did an experiment in which uh, we took the stereotype threat pressure out of that situation for women taking that math test. And we did that in a very straightforward way. Just before they took the test, we told the men and the women that, look, you may have heard that women don't do as well on difficult standardized math tests as men do, but that's not true for the test you're taking today. The test you're taking today, women always do as well as, as men. There's no gender difference on, on this particular uh, test. So uh, maybe for the first time in their lives, after hearing that instruction, uh, the the women are not having to worry about confirming the stereotype about women's lesser math ability or being seen in terms of a stereotype. And with that pre pressure removed in that way, their performance goes up to match that of equally skilled men. Uh, that is what, that's a good e example of the kind of evidence that supports the the existence of stereotype threat as something that could affect something as important as standardized math performance. So uh, part of where I encountered stereotype threat, or I guess I should say where I recognized it in my own work evaluating baseball players, uh, first of all, it's entirely about race or national origin. And mm -hmm. it's primarily about it's more about physical performance. There are certainly some aspects of mental performance. I guess I'd say expected mental performance. But the biggest thing that I encounter are stereotypes about uh, players. The biggest example I can think of is that black American players, as distinct from players maybe who have Afro-Caribbean ancestry, are expected to be faster or better athletes than their white counterparts who might otherwise have similar experience levels or backgrounds. And so you've found, I know from, from your book, Whistling Vivaldi, this stereotype threat even applies to tests purely of physical ability. Yes, yes. Uh, this is research done by Jeffrey Stone um, at uh, uh, Arizona State University. Uh, and it's a very clever study. He got white and black elite athletes to come in one at a time to do a miniature golf task. They 10 holes of golf in the laboratory room. Um, and to see, to put the, the, um, 
white athletes under stereotype threat. The, 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 he used the file, he introduced the test, the golfing test in the following way. He said, look, we want you to do the best you can today. This is the test of natural athletic ability. <laughs> well, given the stereotypes that are out there in our society about who has natural ability, and who doesn't <laughs> have so much natural ability, he's putting the white athletes under the stereotype threat, the pressure of as soon as they go into the golf test and experience the inevitable frustration you're going to experience on that test, they now have the extra worry that they could be confirming this stereotype about their race. Um, and so with that distraction going on, even though they are just as elite athletes as the Af African-Americans in this study, uh, with that distraction going on, they're, they're, it's going to take them more strokes to get through those 10 holes of golf. And indeed it did. Uh, so there's a demonstration that uh, a, a stereotype about athletic performance and who has athletic ability and so forth can indeed affect uh, uh, an athletic performance. Interestingly, this experiment really kind of, I, I like it because it really pulls out the nature of stereotype threat. Uh, they did another condition in which they devised a way to put the African-American athletes under stereotype threat. This time, the same golf test, but they said, look, this is a test, this is a standardized test of sports strategic intelligence. We want you to do the best you can. Well, that's a negative stereotype about the African-American athlete in our culture. Uh, and not spoken publicly, but probably still out there. You think about the quarterback position and so on, although that's changing, fortunately. Uh, nonetheless, uh, with that stereotype in the air, evoked by that description of the test, uh, the African-American athletes didn't do as well as the white athletes. White athletes are favored when that stereotype is made salient. Um, but the black athletes are disadvantaged. They have to worry that any frustration they have on that golf test could be confirming uh, this, what's alleged about their group uh, in the, our culture's stereotypes. So uh, it's a nice study. It relates this phenomenon to athletic performance. Uh, I think Jeffrey Stone has done uh, considerable other research uh, on this same uh, topic. I think he's, uh, he's sort of the central figure in applying stereotypes to, to athletic performance. Um, but it's, it's definitely a process. I mean, you know, it's something I think everybody deals with in one form or another. As one gets older, uh, I'm not pointing to myself or anything. But <laughs> <laughs> one, one, one recognizes there are stereotypes about age. And, and when you're in situations where that's relevant, you're trying to, you know, get your phone set up or deal with technology or something. <laughs> you can see that you're you're being you you could you're at risk of confirming that stereotype or being seen to confirm it, and and it can distract you. Uh, and the more important the activity is, uh, the 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 bigger this effect is likely to be. Uh, for for a, a a performance that isn't very important to you, a stereotype threat may not have much impact. Um, uh, for a woman that really doesn't care about being that great at math, then how the test is represented may not have much effect on, on her. Or for the athlete or for the kid trying to be an athlete who doesn't really care very much about it, uh, you know, these stereotypes probably just don't mean that much. One way you can protect yourself against a sense of stereotypes, right, is, is to not care about the domain of performance where the stereotype applies. I can mm. disidentify with 
uh, math performance as a woman. That's not me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be a historian or a journalist. Uh, so it isn't so relevant to me. Uh, with that career choice, I can kind of avoid the domain where that identity has, has to deal with that stereotype. And uh, I can sort of free myself personally for it. I don't remedy the stereotype in the larger culture, but I, I sort of escape its impact. Um, so the, the combination of things that make this a particularly forceful experience is a negative stereotype uh, relevant to a person performing something that is very important to them. That's when the, the, the sort of poignance of this effect is, is, is there. I'd like to talk a little bit more about uh, what you just got to at the in the end of that answer, which is about remedies or, or really just ways to address stereotype threat. And, and as you're describing it, too, I'm thinking it's in baseball, at least it, it comes up for two different parties. The stereotype threat itself obviously would affect the players where we have players you could loosely cluster into three major groups that you have white players uh, you have black players from the U.S. or Canada, and then you have international players, most of whom come from Latin America. And there are absolutely stereotypes attached to each of those three groups. For example, black players, black African-American players specifically from the U.S. or Canada are expected to be better athletes, but generally presumed to have worse instincts or uh, athletic intelligence, I think is the phrase you used before. Whereas Latin American players are often presumed to be wilder, more erratic on the field specifically. And so I see these coming from both audiences. The players are under stereotype threat, unique to their specific backgrounds, but the evaluators themselves are also probably subconsciously using these stereotypes in their evaluations. I don't think there are many scouts today who are openly prejudiced against any of these groups, but if these stereotypes exist, they're probably showing up in their scouting reports and their individual evaluations of players. So mm-hmm. we could, you could go either direction you want, but what sorts of things do we know help remedy either the stereotype threat for the people under the threat or those who are charged with evaluation to maybe invoking these stereotypes without even realizing it? Yeah. Uh, well, these are really important questions. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't think they're simple, single uh, mm-hmm. remedies, but there are mm-hmm. things that really can help. Um, in the, in the stand, from the standpoint of, of, of uh, scouts, for example, and, and any uh, sort of preventing any uh, use of the stereotype or as much use as, as possible, uh, if, if you can do things that um, you can look at performance, you can have several people look at, at things, people who have, who have uh, maybe come from different backgrounds and who may or may be more or less uh, aware or have more or less likely to fall in even unconsciously to using a stereotype that might be helpful the, the more eyes on the situation the better i guess is what i'm saying mm. um, uh, some sometimes uh i guess in you know the real standard uh, solution to this problem in evaluating musicians is to have them perform behind a screen so that you can't see the identity whether it's a woman or a man or an african-american or somebody who's white uh, you can't see that. You just hear the performance. I don't know if that's so possible in the case of of uh, athletic performance, but to the extent that that principle might be used, maybe it, it would be uh, useful. Uh, I do think just knowing about things is also helpful. Knowing about 
the fact that even beneath our consciousness, these stereotypes can shape our perceptions of people and their performance. Uh, that that kind of when that idea is learned, people can kind of second second guess themselves and and begin to get a little bit more distance from their uh, perceptions and judgments and and uh, counter argue their conclusions. Well, this is what I saw, but and then they could be then knowing that there could bias may have crept in, they can kind of examine their judgments uh, for that possibility. Um, well, there are a variety of things I can go on. I can refer you to a, a book that a colleague of mine uh, just uh, published uh, to some uh, real acclaim. It's called Bias. And uh, it's a great description of, of how stereotypes can implicitly affect our judgments. Um, and she's obviously one of the big problems in society where this is, is an obvious problem is in policing. Um, that police can fall into this uh, tendency to very tragic effects. And so the book is focused on, on that, but it, it's some, it, the principles are generalizable to uh, judging athletic performance or judging, judging intellectual performance as well. And she has a nice set of remedies that I think are helpful and, and ways of thinking about this that are, are helpful for uh, people. On the other side of the interaction where I'm the target or the possible target of, of a stereotype threat, um, a, a number of things are helpful. One, one of which is, is, uh, comes from the research of another colleague, Carol Dweck and mindset. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we just understanding that a performance is, uh, that, that athletic performance can be improved upon having a growth mindset about my performance makes the sting of possibly being stereotyped a little less significant. If I think that performance is rooted in natural ability that either you have or you don't have, then the prospect of seeing being seen through the stereotype as not having that ability is very upsetting and stressful. <laughs> but if I think that the performance is something that I can improve on, then the possibility of being judged uh, negatively on some given occasion, maybe that would just motivate me more. Uh, many of our effects in, in our research show that the prospect of being stereotyped does, stereotypes does motivate people more. They're, uh, they're really trying hard to disprove the stereotype. They're, they're not um, uh, internalizing the stereotype and giving up they're really trying to defeat the stereotype in some, in many situations where the task uh, can't, you can't improve on the task. That's very helpful. Uh, for example, on an easy math test, women ex will often perform better than men uh, or for introductory math courses at the college level, women will often perform better than men. Uh, um, there, the motivation to disprove that stereotype, uh, it doesn't interfere with performance. It facilitates performance. But when you're taking a very difficult math test, sort of at the frontier of your ability, and you, you're experiencing a lot of frustration, that's where stereotype threat can have its, its more damaging effects on performance. And I think the same principle would probably hold for athletic performance, that uh, a, a lot of the routine uh, activities that go into supporting high performance are probably not going to be so 
um, negatively affected by stereotypes. That people may actually do better on those things: the training regimes, the the uh, practice, the, that that kind of thing. Um, but it's when uh, a person is in a really tight situation, <laughs> performance situation, <laughs> you know, bottom of the ninth, you know, two outs, two men on base, tied score. <laughs> uh, that, that's where, that's where you worry that, uh, the, the stereotype threat can, can have, uh, a detrimental effect on performance. But up to that point, uh, uh, in the less pressured situations, it may not be so interfering. It may be, be, be actually motivating. Uh, my last question for you is, uh, uh, I guess, it again, a bit more from sort of the management side in baseball. If you were speaking to a you know, scouting staff or a baseball operations staff, it, maybe this question is a little too obvious, but I, I would love to your take on it. I feel like a lot of these stereotypes, they just sort of suffuse the language of the industry. So even though people would say, no, we're not, we're not racist, we're not considering race in any of our, our evaluations – I have heard working in this industry for almost 20 years now, the old saw that Dominican players are not patient hitters because, quote, you can't walk off the island. It's the joke. They won't draw walks. They don't take pitches. They're just free swingers. Uh, or that one of my other quote unquote favorites, I say that with, with sarcasm, it may not be evident on a phone call, but that uh, you know, we were, when we grade out position players in baseball, we grade them on five physical tools. And there's the joke that being black is the sixth tool, that it, you get extra points simply for the color of your skin. And my take is that those are probably harmful. The attitudes certainly are. But even the fact that these things are repeated, I, I don't know if they're simply evidence that these things exist, these stereotypes still exist, or are they symptomatic of sort of a larger problem? Like this is what continues to pass these down and spread them so that the stereotypes will persist maybe for the next generation of evaluators too. So I, I, the question yeah. would be, if you, if you were consulting to a team, say, would you, it, d is this kind of language, do you talk, would you talk about this and say, no, we need to even frame the way we're talking about players differently to try to work these stereotypes out of our system? Uh, definitely the latter, I, mm -hmm. I, I, because you're, you're so right and doing such a great job of describing exactly how stereotypes do work. They get sort of interwoven into language that uh, itself doesn't appear to be uh, pulling on the stereotype, but but actually is. It's creating a framework which which um, uh, sort of, you know, it establishes the. The, the the stereotype in in the in the very logic of the of the judgment um the idea of getting a, a six point for for being black um it's just it's an interesting you know if you're if you're african-american you should be flattered by that probably but uh in in, in fact if you're if you're a scout uh or you're a management side of the game that could just be very deceiving uh and 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 throw off uh, a, a good, uh, an otherwise uh, a bias, uh, an otherwise uh, good judgment. Uh, just having that expectation there, that that logic, <laughs> having heard <laughs> that, you know, at, at in the in the coffee room could could be enough to, you know, uh, uh, affect the out the experience of white players or uh, or maybe black players too. I, I, it's interesting. When I was in junior high school, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm an African American. When I'm junior high school i remember 
transferring for a whole variety of reasons uh, I won't go into, but I left essentially all black school and went to, an, uh, except for me, all white, all, all white school. Oh, wow. <laughs> and in the seventh grade, this mm-hmm. happened, we moved and so on. And uh, I came out to, for the, I went out for the soccer team because that was the first sport that we played that year. And everybody said, oh, we got a black guy. He's going to be fast. <laughs> <laughs> and i wasn't fast. <laughs> so, uh there's a case where the stereotype went you know le- uh led the, the my judges astray <laughs> right it was a, a, a bit painful for me and uh <laughs> and it really deceived the, you know tricked them so um you have to be careful stereotypes are not reality and and uh they they can uh, corrupt our judgments in all kinds of ways. So um, I, I I think we don't we do have to be careful about how they get interlaced into uh, our the, the structure of our of our judgments and uh, and the assumptions that we make uh, without without testing. My guest today has been Claude Steele. He's a social social psychologist and a professor of psychology at Stanford University. His 2010 book, Whistling Vivaldi, How Stereotypes Affect Us and What We Can Do, is, I think, the canonical text, at least for the lay reader, on stereotype threat. I strongly recommend it. Professor Steele, thank you so much for your time today. My great pleasure. Thank you. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, to help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com athletic. That's drinkhydrant.com athletic for 25% off your first order drinkhydrant.com slash athletic. That's all for this week's episode of the Keith Law Show. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or anywhere else you happen to listen to your podcasts or consider sharing this episode with a friend. We appreciate all of the good feedback we've gotten so far. Thanks so much for listening and stay safe.